Well, I don't know about you, but I love church. I really do. I actually do. It's something that, that goes deep inside of me. I've always loved coming to church on a Sunday, meeting up with people during the week. The church provides something to people that I've never experienced anywhere else in my life. I've always formed deep friendships with people in churches where I've attended and I've always been blessed by other people in the church. I love the church. Church has always been my family. Since I was three, I've pretty much lived away from close family my whole life since since I was three. And so in very real ways, the church has been my extended family. In Hobart, there was this delightful couple that that we adopted as as grandparents, Mort and Joyce Denwa. They were just the most lovely, godly, elderly couple, you know, the the perfect couple that you'd, you'd love to be your grandparents. And considering that we were in Hobart and my grandparents were in Geelong and Melbourne, um, they were great fill-ins. You know, they, they were just lovely, lovely people. Uh, my youth pastor did tell me a, a disturbing story about them, that one day he was in the church and he was walking past the church kitchen and they were in the kitchen in the middle of a very passionate embrace as they were smooching like they're on their honeymoon. I mean, these were old people. And he was like, oh, Grace, oh, Mort, Joyce, stop. What do you think you're doing? And they, they were like, what? But, you know, and I guess with age and, um, I guess, perspective, you know, that stops being as gross and becomes encouraging, I guess, for some people. I don't know. I really don't know. But um, that, that image, yes, it's a, it's, a, it's a very interesting image to come to mind. No, that, that, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. As I said, as perspective, it becomes a little bit less gross. But they were really good filling grandparents for me at a time when, uh, family was, was far away. They became family. That, that is the power of church. It's the power of the church. It's a family that spans all generations and can powerfully impact those members of the family with the hope of the gospel for all generations. But not all churches are like this. Not all people in the church are like this. I pray that we'll be a church that is family, that, that is like that. But unfortunately, it's not the reality for every person. And it's not everyone's experience of the church. Because churches are made up of people just like you and I. We are flawed human beings. And there are times when we can feel hurt, where we can feel judged, where we're told that we don't stack up, where maybe we feel unwelcome and that maybe we shouldn't be involved or are not good enough to be involved or to do something. In a moment of raw honesty, how many people have felt like that at least once? during your time in the church. So there's only a handful of honest people because everyone's hand just about should go up. Because if you've been in a church, I can almost guarantee you've been hurt by someone because we're all flawed human beings. That is the unfortunate part of church. And I wish it wouldn't be a reality that so many of us have experienced. I wish you'd never been hurt by somebody in the church and that neither had I. On behalf of those who have hurt you for whatever reason and motivation, that person had, I say sorry. Sorry that it happened. Sorry that you had to experience that. And sorry that these people who were supposed to be honouring Jesus instead hurt you. So why does it happen? Well, yes, it is because we are fallen and we all still struggle with sin. 
But maybe it's also because we haven't paid attention or, or been under or sat under or, or valued solid, good biblical teaching and applied that to the relationships that, and the way things are done in the church. We are all imperfect people who make mistakes and inadvertently and unintentionally hurt people. But are we building a culture in our church that encourages healthy expression of family and relationships that honour Jesus, that bring glory to God and that bring the hope of the gospel? Well, the church in Colossae were also struggling with similar aspects in their congregation. And so Paul wrote to them to help address some of the issues facing that church. And through his letter, he sets out some very clear ways of dealing with each other in relationships together and and ways of thinking as a church that that help build people up in Christ rather than hurt them and misrepresent Christ. And so if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. This week and next week, we're going to delve into these issues of how we are to relate with each other in the church and how we're then to live in Christ. And so we're going to start with verse 16. It says, Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Passing judgment on someone is a surefire way to offend them and hurt them. I don't want to be in a church that judges me all the time. I want to be in a church that accepts and loves me. Anyone else? Yeah? Surprisingly. Wow. (laughs) That's amazing. Thank you, Lord, for the revelation. For the Colossians, the false teachers were advocating asceticism for spiritual growth. That is, they were teaching that people were supposed to adhere to severe self-discipline and avoid all forms of indulgence as a means of spiritual growth. And part of this was to observe all the different old covenant obligations. Now, who gets, when they're reading the scriptures, gets to Leviticus and just like, skip, numbers, skip. Like, you know what those are? They're all the obligations. Right, That's all the, the rules of lists of things that you're supposed to do. Right, This is what these false teachers in Colossae were saying to the people in the Colossian church. You guys, you've got to adhere to all this because that's how you grow spiritually. They misrepresented the gospel. They were arguing that all of the rituals and festivals were essential for spiritual advancement. However, they completely missed the fact that the old covenant observances pointed to a future reality that was fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Christians were no longer under the Mosaic covenant of rituals and festivals. We no longer have to observe the Old Testament dietary laws. Can I hear an amen there? Bacon is okay. They no longer had to do festivals or ritual holidays or spiritual days, special days. For these things, they all pointed to Christ and were fulfilled in Christ. The substance of all of those are all in Christ. And so Paul continues in verse 18, do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they've seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. 
you ever been in Christian circles where there's the the super spiritual person who keeps telling you about all the amazing you know spiritual experiences that they've had along with all the visions that God gives them daily all the time you know the prophecies that have been you know prophesied over their life and and all the things that God is leading them into and you think oh my goodness hold on a second seriously do you live in the practical world or is everything so in the clouds with you that you can hardly have a normal conversation with any regular person? We've come across people like that, haven't we? And they often finish the conversation with what I, unfortunately, as a sceptical person, consider fake humility. Oh, and to think God has done all this for someone like me. You know, like, it, it, we've, we've, we've seen that person. Well, how many times have you felt that you're not worthy or not as sp- spiritual or, or holy as someone else or, or like, like you don't stack up? You compare yourself to someone who you think is more spiritual than you are and there's that little voice that pops in your head saying, you're never going to be as good as they are. Look at them. Their love for Jesus just oozes out of them. There's no way you can stack up. Don't even bother trying. So in one aspect, both of these are two sides of of the same coin. Both of them are unhealthy. You know, being puffed up and so full of yourself is is just as unhealthy as comparing yourself to someone you think is really super spiritual and and that you're not measuring up. There's great worth and value in keeping our spiritual lives grounded in the reality of our earthly experience. We are not in heaven yet. We have to deal with the reality of our everyday lives as we seek to bring hope into every day. If people cannot relate to us because we are on such a high spiritual plane in every thought and action that we do, how is that going to reach them with the gospel? There's no point being so spiritual that you end up becoming completely useless to everyone around you because you're away off in the clouds the whole time. There is also a challenge for us not to compare ourselves with those around us because you never know if that person that you're looking up to as as this sort of, you know, example of spirituality is actually someone that Paul has just described as being puffed up and full of themselves rather than being full of grace and understanding of their place before the Lord. So don't let the intimidation of others who may be further along in, in their walk with the Lord or, or maybe a more mature disciples put you off from developing a closer relationship with Jesus. Maybe try and look at them as, as inspiration rather than as something that seems to have the effect of degradation on your motivation. Have a chat with them. Ask if they'd, they'd meet with you and share some of the wisdom and knowledge and, and insight and help you mature in your walk with the Lord and remain grounded in our, our present realities. You see, the teachers at Colossae were all about spiritual experiences. For them, they looked down at people who weren't as spiritual as they were, who weren't in the in crowd, living in a world where spiritual ritual and almost cult-like practices was the way they went about things. You see, the leader of this group of false teachers had come from a pagan temple where they had these overhyped spiritual experiences that they would gain in pagan ritual initiations and so these experiences were based in the occult and the angels would have actually been fallen angels that led these people astray 
I'm always vigilant towards super spiritualization of anything. As I, as by nature, I can be a bit skeptical, but I'm, I'm also on guard against false teaching and people led astray by these experiences. I've been in churches where people just are chasing after the next spiritual high, after the next, after the next, after the next. And so all they're doing is chasing, always chasing after these experiences rather than living out of the grounded truth and reality of the gospel. Paul says in verse 19, they have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews grows as God causes it to grow. People who were led astray by these super spiritual experiences may have lost connection with reality. Paul writes that they've lost connection with their head from whom the whole body grows. Now, we've already been told who the head is, haven't we? It is Christ. Jesus Christ is the head of the body, the head of the church, and it grows as God causes it to grow. Isn't that a blessing? It doesn't grow because of the effort that you put in or that I put in. It grows as God causes it to grow. You know, that's actually really freeing. I'm not sure about the leadership team, but isn't that great to know that, that the body grows as God causes it to grow? It's nothing we do. We, we remain faithful and, and, and we honour God. We bring glory to God. I, I find that very freeing because it's not about us. It's about God. It's just like John writes in chapter 15 of his gospel. He says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, Jesus says. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Isn't that just great words from John chapter 15? I find them also so thrilling and invigorating that growth is through a connected relationship with Christ. We will grow in maturity as disciples of Christ if we remain connected to Jesus, the head of the church, and in submission to the Father. Verse 20, Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules which have to do with things that are destined to perish with use are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. The ringleader of this faction in Colossae was advocating uh, an, an, an esoteric wisdom for daily life that would allegedly help the Colossians deal with evil spirits and cope with life circumstances. So what it was basically saying was it was a self-made religion, human commands and teachings. They look like wisdom, but just like religion, 
are completely useless. They were just rules being imposed that would not help them in restraining from sin or sensual indulgence. It was legalism being established so people looked spiritual, looked wise, but were slaves and complete fakes. When you contrast that with the gospel, there's this real stark contrast between religion and the freedom of the gospel. Jesus has done it all. We have to just respond in faith and repentance and continue in obedience to Christ. And then Paul sets about establishing in contrast to the rules of the factional false teachers, guidelines for healthy living as Christians, which is the proper focus, Christ and the life above. And this section, it marks an end um, to Paul's impassioned arguments against the false teachers and is a bridge to what we'll look at next week where Paul appeals for the Colossians to live in a manner pleasing to the Lord. So the next four verses of the first of chapter 3 help bridge those two things together for us. And so it says, Since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Paul is asking believers to pursue a deeper knowledge of Christ himself and all that belongs to living with and for him. This would have included seeking first his kingdom, like we read in Matthew 6.33, I'm living a life worthy of his name. Christ is presently seated at the right hand of God and he is in a position of authority where he can make intercession with the Father. See, these false teachers may have claimed to have heavenly secrets, but Paul dismisses their theology as earthly. Instead, he tells the Colossians that their life is hidden with Christ in God. Paul uses the, the language of Isaiah and the Psalms to express the security of the people of God as they trust in him. For example, Psalm 31, verse 19 and 20, How abundant are the good things that you have stored up for those who fear you, that you bestow in the sight of all on those who take refuge in you. In the shelter of your presence you hide them from all human intrigues. You keep them safe in your dwelling from accusing tongues. This is the imagery that Paul wants us to bring to mind as we look to Christ for our security. In verse 4, the centrality of Christ in the book of Colossians blazes into view again. Believers know that Christ is their life. Perfection in glory will be ours when Christ returns. Christ is our life. So if that is true, and it is, Christ is our life, Why would you ever let anyone disqualify you if Christ is your life? Why would your gender disqualify you from something if Christ is your life? Men, you are not disqualified from attending the Wednesday morning prayer meeting. I'm usually there flying the male flag solo. You're more than welcome to join me, although I'm not there this week. Ladies... You are not disqualified from attending Thursday evenings either. Feel free to come along. Why would your ethnicity disqualify you from something if Christ is your life? When I look around here today, we we are very Caucasian. We are. Our community, though, is not just Caucasian. We need to make sure that we do not let 
any of our inherent ethnic biases disqualify other people from anything in Christ if Christ is their life as he is ours? Why would your age disqualify you from serving the Lord if Christ is your life? You are never too young to serve Jesus and the church and you are never too old to serve Jesus and the church. If you are 11 or 77, you are not disqualified from serving Jesus or any number in there, either end, more, less. I just picked two numbers. But don't let your age disqualify you. Why would your education disqualify you from something if Christ is your life? I like the, the little idea I've seen expressed among Christian circles that, that God doesn't just call the qualified, he qualifies the called. Your education or lack of education does not disqualify you from serving Jesus with joy. Why would your past disqualify you from something if Christ is your life? I get very saddened to hear when people say that they have been rejected from serving Jesus because of a past aspect of their lives. One example would be divorce. We know that Timothy and Titus say that elders are to be the husband of one wife. And so in some churches that has been taken to say that if you have been divorced and have remarried, then you no longer qualify for eldership. But I have one question to ask. Can God redeem your past? Can God forgive the sins of our past and redeem our future so that we can serve Jesus? Of course he can. Otherwise, we wouldn't have pastors who used to be drug addicts. We wouldn't have pastors who used to be sex workers. We wouldn't have people in all aspects of the kingdom of God serving him if God could not redeem our past. And he does. Talk about hope. There is great hope in the fact that Jesus has made it possible for us to be redeemed and forgiven and experience new life in Christ. Our past doesn't disqualify us from serving Jesus if Christ is our life. And so for you today, what voices have spoken into your life? What has been said to you to disqualify you from serving Jesus? You know, I was told a few years back that I'm not a very good preacher. And so I should not be preaching every week. And in fact, it even got written into my job description at the church that I only preach every second week. Do you know how hard it was to fight against that voice of disqualification? It turns out that it, it came from the insecurities of one man and his desire for control. But that was a blow that I carried with me for quite some time. You know, I think the truth is actually, I think I can preach. I think I'm doing okay. You know, we can always improve. And I wouldn't say that, you know, I'm the world's best preacher by any stretch of the imagination. But I think I'm all right. Please tell me, you know, I invite feedback and that's fine. Just don't tell me I can't preach because that's not true. Otherwise, I wouldn't have been doing this for the last four months, would I? Oh, thank you. <laughs> what are the voices that have spoken into your life and disqualified you? I want us to take a moment now to reflect on that question personally and think of things that have been said to us that have hurt, things that have been painful, things that have been said to disqualify you from serving Jesus in some capacity. You know what? The sad thing is that there might even be people in this room that you can think of that has said something to you that has made you feel disqualified from serving Jesus. I want you to think about those things. I don't want you to hand them over to God. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth 
as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Lord, I ask that you help us to now forgive those people who have sinned against us, to forgive those who have hurt us, who have said things that have disqualified us just as you have forgiven us. May we forgive them. And Lord, I pray that you would reveal the truth in these areas where we feel disqualified. Lord, I pray that you would restore to us correct thinking about those things. You would reveal the truth. Lord, I pray that those who have been pushed into a box or bent out of shape because of the words of disqualification spoken by others would now instead flourish and expand into the areas where you would have us serve you with joy. Lord, I ask that you hear our prayer and bring healing and restoration to those hurts. And Lord, where there has been disqualification, may you bring ability, may you bring talent, may you bring quality, may you bring exceptional skill and excellent service. We pray this in the name of Lord Jesus. Amen.